Hello and welcome to the surprise edition of Hunting for Candlelands. This episode was brought about by an interest that both my friend Mike Schwartz and I share in a subgenre of film known now as folk horror. This subgenre has only been identified somewhat recently. When The Wicker Man came out in 1973, it was labeled by the magazine Cinefantastique as unclassifiable. But I found two sources that came out in 2010 which identified the subgenre. Sight and Sound magazine of August 2010 had a feature on The Wicker Man and Witchfinder General called Films of Old Weird Britain, which feeds off of Grail Marcus's term Old Weird America used to describe the strange folk music of our country. And at the same time, Mark Gatiss produced his A History of Horror for the BBC, where he coined the term folk horror to describe the films Witchfinder General, Blood on Satan's Claw, and The Wicker Man. The 2011 book Electric Eden by Rob Young, which deals with the rise of British folk music from traditional roots through the adding of electronic instruments, and finishing in my new favorite genre of hauntology, also discusses many of these works in its history of folk, acknowledging that they all share something in common. And now, all over the internet, there are people dedicating blogs and websites to folk horror, such as folkhorror.com and celluloidworkerman.com, to which I owe some debt with helping to figure out what to watch. For me, I'm using my own definition for the subgenre, which encompasses a lot of what other people refer to as folk horror. Maybe I need to come up with my own term for it, but I'll share my definition and you'll see that while it's more specific and may not include some of the same movies or television that other people would classify as folk horror, it does cover the same territory. My definition is as follows. The movie or television show should, one, deal with an at least somewhat isolated community, such as a small village or island, two, should feature prominently the landscape, ancient sites, or old architecture of the area. 3. Should deal with unearthing old history, specifically old religions, legends, and beliefs. 4. Should involve some sort of struggle between the forces of modernity, science, or Christianity, with older forces of tradition, magic, or paganism. You'll notice that you can make a decent story with these aspects, such as in the children's show The Witches and the Grinigog, without it being a true horror story. But again, I'm sticking with using the term folk horror since its use is now widespread, and I want people to know roughly what I'm talking about. Two other criteria for the movies and television that Mike and I are focusing on particularly in this podcast are, one, the films or shows are British. There is a follow-up podcast we recorded about folk horror around the world, but for now we're sticking with England, Scotland, Cornwall, and Wales. And two, they are generally in the 1970s, which is acknowledged as the time that this subgenre emerged, though there is evidence of early precursors and late editions. And to add on some things that we found in several of the works, here are a couple of common elements to many of the films and shows. One, they feature a person or persons who is coming into the community new, who represents the outside world. Two, there is a central magus figure, the cultural, political, and religious leader in charge of the community like Lord Summer Isle in The Wicker Man, or Hendrick in Children of the Stones. Three, the works show something joyful or pleasant regarding paganism or old ways, such as traditional dance or festivals. So with all these things in mind, here is a chronological list of some of the movies, television shows, and books we discuss in this episode which roughly fit into my definition of British folk horror. Number one, the children's book Oversea Understone, written in 1965 by Susan Cooper. Number two, the novel The Owl Service, which was published in 1967, 
and the subsequent television series broadcast in 1969 to 1970. Number three, the book Ritual, which I have to admit I haven't read. It was published in 1967, and it was the basis for the movie The Wicker Man, which was released in 1973. Number four, the movie Blood on Satan's Claw, released in 1971. Number five, the television episodes of Doctor Who and the Daemons, released in 1971. Number six, the television movie The Stone Tape, broadcast in 1972. I'm a little iffy on this one, not sure whether it fits in the subgenre or not. Number seven, Demons of the Mind, which was released in 1972. And to be honest, I fell asleep while I was watching it, so I'm not sure if it fits either. Number eight, Penda's Fen, which was broadcast in 1974. Number nine, Requiem for a Village, which was released in 1976. I might call this one a reverse folk horror. And I have to add, uh, I picked it off the shelves at Scarecrow Video in Seattle just by its title alone. I saw it in the British drama section, and we were really glad that I found it because it was really interesting and fit and fit in the genre in an interesting way. Number 10, Children of the Stones, broadcast in 1977. And number 11, The Witches and the Grinigog, which was a book published in 1981 that was later broadcast as a series in 1983. And with that one and Children of the Stones, I saw both of them on Nickelodeon back in the day, probably in the early 80s. Um, and that probably was my first introduction to this genre, because I was fascinated with Children of the Stones particularly. So hopefully that gives you a starting point to understand what Mike and I are talking about when we sat down to record in Seattle. I'll go now to a quote that I shared with Mike from an interview with Gareth Thomas, who played the father in the Children of the Stones, which will lead neatly into our discussion. fell for the script was was the fact that it did touch on so many different things um, I mean where were we talking about 25 years ago mid 70s uh, the hippies had just sort of basically disappeared but there was an element of that sort of relaxation there was an element of uh, pure science there was a, a considerable amount of informative science actually um, there was an element of mysticism uh, there was an element of the I don't know how you put it, really. The old folklore, ley lines, etc. So my two observations slash leading questions would be, taking off of something you just said about the 70s, there being an awareness and the consciousness of ley lines, standing stones, spiritual forces underneath the um, everyday forces, that was there something about the post-60s era that made this more of a concern for films and for books, of course, and, and music? Um, you know, is there was there a reason... In, integral to the fact that the 60s were such a represented the death of uh, at the end of the 60s represented the death of a certain type of idealism and also the extremes of the 60s the um, hedonism and drug and, and just the kind of uh, sudden sudden disruption and sudden elimination of all kinds of constraints that used to be in place 
especially in a culture like in England, but also for sure in America, where you went from a very repressive, overstructured society to a completely free-for-all liberal society. If there's something in that that led to perhaps throwback uh, uh, a, a a throwback uh, backlash uh, in a way to go revere more of the old ways. But I'm always, I always love, sorry, I'll stop talking in a minute. I always love when things are super complicated. For example, one of my favorite early 50s sci-fi movies is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And the movie can be, that movie can be read as both a critique of the Red Scare mentality, right. mm-hmm. but also a true, you know, uh, her kind of... Be uh, careful, yeah. Yeah, be careful that they may, the Reds may actually be around us and be us. And so some of these films in the folk horror genre both seem to me to function as a reaction against the um, the hedonistic excesses of the 60s and a nostalgic, actual, very affectionate view of the past, combined with dark forces in the past recurring because they've always been there under the surface mm-hmm. uh, and not necessarily a romanticized view of the past when the past involves things like human sacrifice and... Witches being burned. Witches being burned. Yeah children being indoctrinated in the ways of happy villages, etc. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's... <coughs> yeah, Surma, you agree. <laughs> she loves the past and hates it at the same time. Um, what I was just realizing was, in America, a lot of the hippies became, like, New Age people. Mm-hmm. That was how they... That, yeah. that was their next step for them. Spiritual. And I think maybe in England it was it was paganism or, or, or like... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, old old religions of England right. and that the people the hippies were adopting those those things. Themselves. Yeah, because they were looking yeah. for something past the drugs and yeah. and that only style. gets you so far. And some of them went to India, and some of yeah. them went to the moon in more in figurative ways, metaphoric ways. And then others, you know, became right wing, uh-huh. you know, or very religious people. And then some probably went back into ancient folklore. So, but was there something about that time that made this? Particularly, it, may, it could have or been the place, and you know, time it, or place. part of it is the science in which they may have been doing more scientific things, studying like why did people make Stonehenge mm-hmm. or yeah. So science is interesting in all these films because sometimes you know uh, there's so. By the way, we should probably say what films we're talking yes, about. Yes, okay. The films we're talking about. What would be the so there's British TV, British drama, and yes. Yeah, so uh, here's my short list. Just okay. I've told Mike yeah. this before, but I'm gonna say it out loud, which is that I have this this specific definition which I'm working on for some reason, yeah. and I'm finding stuff that fits in or doesn't, and or, and, and I don't even know what to call the actual show, subgenre. But I'm making this list of movies, which is the, uh, the Wicker Man, obviously, uh, Children of the Stones, which we were talking about. There's this other movie called The Witches in the Grinigog, which is a bunch, about a bunch of kids discovering the origins of their their, their town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw a fun version of it on Doctor Who the other day, which is mm. Doctor Who and the Daemons, yeah. which is uh, yeah. this weird thing where there's actually like Morris dancers that are attacking people wow. with with sticks and stuff. So they're not that's... using the forces, the psychic forces of. No, there's but they're the, all the villagers are against them. It's the same yeah. thing where they go into okay. a stranger. I mean, the doctor in this case is the stranger. Wow. He goes into town. And Just they're, like that. Yeah, and they're, it's the villagers are, wow. are trying to. They've been encouraged by that figure we were talking about, like the, the Hendrick man. figure, oh, the, yeah, or the, the Lord of the, the, Lord of the like Manor. The, yeah. yeah, and the, in this case, it's the master, which is yeah. the doctor's enemy. Okay. So he's usually a magist figure. He's exactly. like a magician right. priest. Uh-huh. Figure. Yeah. 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 Right. 
Yeah, so that's yeah. that's your short list. So that's my short list, and then that's just because those guys, those, and I see a lot of parallels in those movies. But then we're, we're adding on, and these are sort of a separate mm-hmm. section, which is almost more psychological. Ah, yeah, yeah. Where okay. it's, it ties it in, and so that's Owl Service, yeah. which is you can see on YouTube, and is yeah. really cool. Mike just saw, saw that. And the thing about that is the whole the past living into the present, the past uh-huh. extending itself, forcing itself really into the present, right? You know, which is all of these films. I think that certainly fits because of that. Yeah, and that's a Welsh, like Welsh film and Welsh Welsh mythology, Mabinoingen, which I think has some early references to like uh, King Arthur and some yeah. of those stories are in right. there. Which you also want to see Raven, I know. That's why I want to see Raven. Like and that Penda's Fen, I'm putting okay. in the same category as all sure. the service, and you should check that yeah, out. Yeah, and now we have to put Requiem for a Village there. And yes, well. I think that would fit. That goes with that. So that's what we just saw last night was Requiem for a Village. Yeah, which is similarly nostalgic for a lost era. Yeah. But also, there's harsh scenes in that movie. I mean, the rape scenes in that yeah. movie, for example. Well, I think we could talk a lot about why there are rape, two rapes in the middle of this yeah. bucolic, pastoral yes. English film. And in the movie we saw last night, in um, yeah, the, um, Blood on Satan's Claw. Claw. Which, of course, has a very notorious rape scene that you've heard about yeah. beforehand. It's, kind of a, it's a rape sacrifice scene. Yeah, uh-huh. there's something for sure, darkly sexual about all these films. They also also have to do with children and the loss of innocence. Yeah. And uh, let's come back to one thing because we have yes. a lot of threats. So the yes. one thing you said about science. Right. I'll talk about that. Because okay. that's interesting to me how at the same time as these films are completely accepting and acknowledging of modern science. And science can actually reveal the mystical in various ways. Right. So I'm, if you remember in Children of the Stones, Under the Church... You expect there to be tombs or ancient relics or runes, but there's computers yeah. under the church. Yeah. And he uses, you know, he's using technology, he's an astronomy. Astro- modern astronomy. Yeah. Yeah, it's not astrology, it's astronomy. The supernova yeah. energy, yeah. Uh, which is also tied to this depression under the earth where the stones are built on. Uh-huh. So it's it, it almost is saying that science and mysticism or, or um, you know, spiritualism, there's no difference there. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost saying that the Druids who lived in these parts, the Celtic, ancient Celtics, they had their own access to science through their own means. Uh, I mean, they had a knowledge of where, you know, of the supernova. That's apparently, I mean, the, the stone structures, they often say, were for some particular astrological uh, right, right. thing. Yeah. And when we were in Peru at Machu Picchu, there's this one place that's built by the, um, you know, the uh, ancient Mayan civilization where the light hits of a stone a certain way. Uh-huh. And at one time of the year, uh, it's only one time of the year where the light actually comes through this opening in the rock just so, and it illuminates this wow. this, this little altar that's built in Machu Picchu, and that's one time a year where it had to do with the solstice. It's very similar, and so it's universal. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. sure, they, they, the ancients knew a lot about astronomy. They knew a lot more about science. Um, it's interesting to see how maybe Arab culture influenced that, because, of course, they were the preservers of the Greek tradition or Greek history of science. Um, mm. when the Christian era really rejected science. So here's another thing about that is when the return to paganism in the 70s, which came about at a time when I think people had um, mixed feelings about the liberation of the 60s, also brought back a certain reverence for, um, not reverence for, but a certain appreciation of science that perhaps the Christian era... Or of the earth in general, like earth, it's a back-to-earth yeah. thing. Natural and appreciating science. The, yes, exactly, yeah. natural sciences, yeah. Yeah, so, so what about science in all these films? The fact that it's, you know, these are not like fantasies. They're, they're, they're films that are actually saying that there's some power in, uh-huh. in the, you know, these places, these sites, these ley lines, and that science can be used 
to research them. I mean, most a lot of times the character coming in is a scientist, like in Children of the Stones, right? right? Or right. Um, is studying from a scientific perspective, like in the Stone Tape, where they're they're you know electronics engineers and they're trying to research using electronic technology, yeah, which enables them to actually access. But what about science? Is you know, what about this? These films is able to both appreciate science and the mystical forces because in other films it's either or it's not both right how did they manage to do that yeah that's interesting i, think I don't know the answer I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a thought though that leads us down so wait road. so what was the other movie we saw last night besides Wequiem for a village I can uh, never demons the of name. the mind demons of the mind which is more psychological probably and which, more about but the, here's the craziest thing the 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 woman from Owl Service mm-hmm. was in Demons of the yes, Mind, right? Which and totally tripped us out because kind of star Gillian yeah. Hills. Yep, and she was name. also in uh, Blow Blow Up. Is it Blow? Yeah. It's Blow Up. She was yes. in Blow Up. And yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. weird. Yeah, that she's this character, and also it's not the only overlap. So mm-hmm. the same guy who was the the master who was Hendrick in Children of the Stones. Yep. we see in the Stone Tape. Yeah, he was in the two Stone, tape stone well. movies. Yeah. Right, same pool of actors. There's others who are repeating in these films too. Probably the, the main the main actor in Children of the Stones was in a series called Blake Seven, which oh, was like a companion to Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so he was Blake in Blake yeah. Seven. So he's you know. Some of these films are Hammer films. Some of them are Granada Television. Um, a few of are can also we can include the um, Ghost Stories for Christmas. The M R James. M R James is an interesting figure for folk horror. I think he's probably a foundational figure for folk horror. Because all of his stories involve some antiquarian, some guy from a scientific background who's a scholar, who goes and stumbles upon some ancient ritual or mythology. And oftentimes, um, M.R. James would make it up as he uh-huh. went, which a lot of these guys did. Like, you probably, you know, know that the Wicker Man is, is, a, is a mishmash. But uh, the, no, but the, there is actually writings, the Romans wrote down about the about a wicker man yes and there was sure, and, the, there, and they knew a little bit about wicker, druids yeah. but very little yeah it was whatever the romans said about but, them but yeah. they made up a lot of that stuff in the wicker man yeah like robert oh, yeah. hardy yes. like or, yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. definitely created, and the music was its own yes. tradition yeah they, they made created up a, a new music yeah. so there's another question there's the question about science and mysticism and yeah. what make how they are able to coexist so comfortably in these films and also perhaps in the neo-pagan movement and, and then there's the question about authenticity. How much of this is truly reaching back to the past and how much is, you know, cherry picking it's, and it's creating not, something yeah, new? It's something new, for sure. Yeah, which is cool. The other overlap is science fiction because a lot of these have, films have science fictional aspects, uh-huh. which is all about the future and modernity and technology. Right. Um, you know, it's almost like the steampunk genre of, of fantasy. Right. Because that's, let's take some of these throwbacks... So there's so these are not authentic recreations no. of the past. No, um, except maybe something like Requiem for a Village. The documentary scenes in that are yeah, trying real to people. evoke yeah. real life and how it has been for a long time in the face of changes like developments yeah. and bulldozers. Um, and this movie even had a live birth in it, which was yeah. completely insane. Yeah, yeah, just out of the blue. Absolutely. And it's, it's um, it was directed by a guy who's known as an editor for a couple British films. Right. I'm just I should say the information so we have it on. Yeah, the, David Gladwell is his which, name. And the he did it for for If and Oh Lucky Man, which are two really interesting movies. Yeah. Um, you could tell he was an editor. Oh, and after we watched Requiem for a Village, we watched his other movie that another yeah. movie that was on the disc, which was called an Untitled, Untitled which was the same sort of thing. Yes, it was an experimental short, reaping and bizarre children, yep. and some of the same things in all his movies. Actually, yep. the weird children thing is another one. 
Um, so we'll come back around maybe. Let's. Um, the English landscape is big in all these films. Yeah. That's something that you know, like is an obvious. If you're looking for the lowest common denominator between these films, it's right. the landscape. You have to have, and there has to be a lot of images yeah. of just appreciating the landscape. And is it because the landscape is it's so old? It's been, I mean, the fact that British, the land there has been dot, has been dwelled upon uh-huh. by so many people yeah. going way back. Yeah. I mean, you go back obviously pre-Roman and Celtic and Druid and, yeah. um, you know, you have these ancient burial mounds, you have these barrows and stones. Right. So, you know, does the landscape then just have so many layers of they just did you hear They just found a new yeah, barrels that. right next to Stonehenge. No, it's oh, a new, did they find a new henge? Yeah, I thought it was a, another stone. Oh, what was it? Yeah, they're still figuring it out, but mm-hmm. but yes, they're still doing it. So is it the dead are literally there in the landscape? They're still there, yeah, they're always still there. And, and, that's, and that's not true about American landscape, except for the Native Americans, maybe, who have some similar tales. Right, yeah, yeah. To. It would seem like it would have to, if we were trying to do something like this, mm-hmm. it would kind of go back to, there's actually, I'm noticing, in the stuff that I'm doing, I'm noticing some parallels in uh, Native Americans and the Druids, okay. some of the stuff they nice. did. Right. For example, example, they both um, ate a lot of acorns. Okay. Wow. It's like both of them, they, that, that's a thing. So I was like, that's, there's that's cool. interesting connections. Acorns. And yeah. yeah, sure. I mean, there's probably, you probably find other indigenous peoples the, in other places. The Druids used to take same. acorns thinking that they were a, a psychoactive <laughs> thing, okay. apparently. Even though it's not, they're not. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. And the Native Americans, they'd, they'd make like soup and stuff out of it. Peyote. So yeah. they, do they have anything like that in Druid culture where their drugs used? Um, see, all they know is they know this, this thing which is. Well, it's cutting the cutting the missile. The 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 one um, ritual that they know of, because mm-hmm. it was in a in a in a Roman thing, was the cutting of the mistletoe from the oak trees. Hmm. That was the the one thing that they had had mm-hmm. written down. You know, yeah. use a have a little sickle, and you you yeah. the druids were climbing trees and getting this. And mistletoe is a fungus of some sort, isn't it? It's oh, no, right. it's some sort it of a, it's a some sort ivy. of it's a parasitic plant, is what. Okay. I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. ivy. Right. Right. Yeah. It's an invasive species. Right. Yeah. And I think, and it's a, it's I, a fair point. I wonder if there's, uh, there might be, I mean, it almost seems like a, um, like a kind of Amanita mushroom kind of mm. poise, taking a poison yeah, that could, maybe. you know, I don't know. Could kill you or lead to psychoactive effects right. perhaps too. Right. Interesting. Yeah. That, and I, that's a symbol of Christmas, the mistletoe. Yes. You know, so. Exactly. The, 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 co-option or adoption yes. of pagan symbols in Christian mythology, which is purely just a harness I mean, it's a it's a cheap way to tap into other forces and powers to build a church on the side of a pagan right. altar. And they did that to, to yeah. also just to cover up the old stuff because they're like, yes. okay, you want to come to this place? Yeah, you're, now you're going to a church. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, and I, I always love syncretism, which is the combination of um, religious yeah. religion from different places. Yeah. Uh, how they integrate, my, but my but, brother was was telling me that there's a temple to Mithras in London. Oh, really? Like the ancient Holy. Roman god, and it's still there. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I know. that's awesome. That's the nobody does it like the Indians. They can take you know adopt different Hindu, Buddhist, oh, Muslim right, right. mythologies all in one. Yeah, they just worship it all in the same yeah. in the same temple. Um, yeah, Christianity obviously tried to eradicate what came before, mm-hmm. but used some of it as well and so the the uh certainly the reaction to um you know the um neo-pagan movement was certainly a reaction to that i'm sure too is the kind of return of the repressed all these dark forces kind of forcing themselves out not necessarily dark but all these ancient but, forces but you're t- and we're talking about the link with uh 
England and India when the bands of this time, you have bands like the Incredible Rocks. String Band or something oh, yeah. where they're doing um, English folk mixed with Indian yes. music. Yeah, definitely. You know? And sometimes African, they go to Morocco, yeah. they'd adopt some of the instruments uh-huh. there. For sure. I think that's the whole search for authenticity. Right. I think that that's what gets you in trouble, too, is when you're trying to go back to something you consider a more authentic time, and there's no way to go back to that. Yeah. And you're also creating it you have as to you end go. Up, yeah. Yeah, you're creating something that didn't exist, but is this idealized, ver- idealized version of the past. And that's sort of criticism of, like, neo-pagans nowadays, mm-hmm. is that it's often that they just have cobbled things together and made yes. their own thing up, which is yeah, which is a mix uh, of stuff. Yeah, which is a dilution of the past. The, right. um, perhaps some of these films can be seen as, like, a critique of that. Like, right. yeah, I mean, trying to mess with these dark forces and create something new usually gets you into a situation where you're, you know, where you, you could have, um, you know, just thinking that... Um, the stone tape you're messing with ancient forces you yeah. don't understand well, and they could come back and and haunt you um, now is worker man pro pagan or is it like well i, I think it's it just, more complicated it's, it's, it's just that. a yeah it's just, about the yeah. culture clash between um ancient cultures and modern cultures sometimes in the same although that's the thing it's kind of a made-up ancient it's, culture but it's, it's really attractive the the yeah. pagan culture is really attractive in the movie until yes. the end Right, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, to see what like you totally on. are on their side of the villagers. Yeah, it's like there's this old Dostoevsky story about if you know you have one child in a room, and that child had to be imprisoned. This may, this is actually um, there's an Ursula K. Le Guin story um, that this is like this here as well. The, the Dostoevsky story goes like there's one man waiting to be executed. You have to pull the trigger. If you do, there's a hundred people who will be happy for uh-huh. the rest of their lives. Something like that. There's like a like wind story is there's one child somewhere in the world in a dungeon getting whipped and beaten and that child is getting uh, uh, abused so that the rest of the society can live a happy, peaceful life. That's the price is this one child has uh. to continue to be whipped for the rest of his natural life so that everybody can be happy. It's like, is that worth it? Is like that sacrifice in the wicker man that supposedly right. preserves this lifestyle. Yeah. Is that... You know what's the what's the attitude, moral attitude towards yeah. and that? And if they believe he's actually being honored by being sacrificed, is their yeah. belief of that invalid? Right. Where the guy believed that like Jesus was sacrificed, mm-hmm. right? You know, so yeah. they're almost saying you could to be Jesus. You, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's all by choice, and yeah. then you're choosing. Although I think the the police. You know, sergeant. No, he didn't want. He was was screaming. Yes, he didn't have a choice. No, but um, but he's also a danger to their society, and right now, there's there's that part of it too. So actually, the only couple good things that were in the the sequel to Worker Man, Mm -hmm. the Wicker Tree, yeah, was there's this one part where so it's it's these Christian singers come Mm -hmm. to a pagan pagan village. Okay, that's interesting. American Christian singers. Oh. Like so they're doing like country songs. No, oh, it's like okay. country kind of. Yeah, and it's actually the woman had a pretty good voice, so they picked wow. a, a singer. Okay. Um, but so there's this one part where there she's teaching everyone a song. She's like, "This is the song we sing. It's a song about the blood of Christ." Mm-hmm. And it's a, you know it's a pretty good like gospel country yeah. song. Mm-hmm. Later, when they're being attacked by the villagers, the mm-hmm. villagers are singing. The blood of Christ, oh, the blood of wow. like they want the Christians' blood. Yeah, that's and it's so the, it's, um, it's that also that ancient thing that Jews were accused of of using the blood to yeah. perform devil worship. They're literally turning it around, yeah. and it's the same sort of thing that was in the Wicker Man. Wow, where, yeah, 
Where that's pretty cool. They're saying, that's, yeah. It, I don't know if it has any connection. But that was the only good thing. I mean, other than that, the it's a really cheesy thing. movie. Yes. Yeah, I'm not watching it. Sorry, no, I don't no. want to spoil anything having to do with the Wicker Man. Yeah, it could. It actually could ruin the Wicker Man a little bit. Sometimes you watch a second movie from a director and you're like, "This yeah. is so bad, it makes the first movie bad." Yeah. <laughs> Can we connect that at all to Blood and Satan's Claw when the the Beast is saying, "Give me my skin"? Yeah. You know, and it needs in that movie it needs the skin, and it needs the skin particularly of the young but, kids. And so this is the thing that I was that they know now is that the Druids were into cannibalism. Yes. And there is that thing where they it's not just made up that it probably that's what we were wondering is that so anyways this documentary I saw on Netflix that you can see is um, they talked about how with um, the druids that they probably did they did human sacrifice and they Mm -hmm. did cannibalism at a point and they were talking about how in a lot of cultures, I've already told this to Mike but I didn't write this down I want to write it down they talked about how in a lot of cultures when they were stressed and whether we're we're talking no matter like if you're Eskimo or you're in Africa but when the, the culture gets stressed you sometimes revert to doing things like cannibalism because you're trying to find some way to get power. Yes. Now, then Mike was like, or is it that they were hungry and that was the only choice? Yeah. I, I'm not sure about that. But No, there's probably something. That, there's Multiple cultures have the idea that if you consume part of your, your enemy or yeah. the people you vanquish, in most cases it's between warring. Yeah. Obviously, there's cannibalism in Africa, yeah. uh, where we just came from. East Africa had a lot of cannibalism where a yeah. tribe would literally eat. Also, it's pretty horrific. The history of slave trading there is the slaves who didn't end up shipped over to work on plantations were often eaten in times of famine. Oh my God. That was more driven by food. But there's the sense that you get you assume the power of the person uh-huh. when you eat them. It's this kind of hunter, and it has to also connect to the Wendigo myth in Native mm-hmm. American mythology, where you eat the person, you gain their power. Yeah. Um, by the way, see, you should check out that movie Ravenous. Oh, I've seen that. That's no, a good movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. Right. Um, all right. So one of the other things. Uh, Wait, one, I, have one, to, I have to tell you this connection. Okay, yeah, here's yeah, a movie connection, please, a yeah. weird one, okay? So I just was, I figured this out the other day. So Children of the Stones, you know the uh, old guy who's, um, he's kind of like, and that's actually a, a common theme, he's kind of like the, kind of the village idiot. What's yeah. his name? Hugh. Um, Hugh, or Die, is it no, Die? No, Die, 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 Yeah, yeah. Hugh's an Alistair. Um, so so that, Alistair that actor, I can't remember his name, Yeah. but his son is Toby Jones. Oh. The guy in Barbarian, the main guy yeah, in Barbarian Sound System, He's, and in every guy, other, Toby Jones every other has movie. Been in yeah. Many films. yeah, yeah. So how about wow. that for connection? Children oh, that's Stones, really cool. Barbarian Sound System. Wow. Barbarian Sound System has this, the soundtrack yeah. by the group Broadcast, right? Which is doing this hauntology. Which kind is in of the thing. hauntology thing. It's just again, yeah. it's these weird connections yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. A, a family. I mean, also, I guess with England actors, there's a, a lot of pool. overlap. Yeah. So there's a word I read when yes. I was researching, or when you'd sent me some of those articles, psychogeography. I've never heard yeah. that before. Yes. Totally fascinating uh-huh. concept. I think the, I saw that. Yeah, the concept, the concept that locations are, you know, have resonate with echoes of history that come out psychologically in that the owl service makes the most use of it, I think, in where yeah. the kids are actually embodied by um, characters from the Mabinogoyen? Mabin, what? Mabinogoyen. Mabinogoyen. Yes. Oh yeah. my gosh, Welsh is such an impossible language yeah. to try yeah, to yeah, pronounce. Yeah. yeah, so they're actually... Like Bledeweld is one of the characters, right? That lived that basically surfaces through the young woman who's also right. going through uh-huh. her own sexual development. So there's also that, and um, that that sense of psychogeography, just where they are in the Welsh landscape. I guess it's North Wales or something. Yeah. It's somewhere where yeah. there's a lot of Celtic and Druidic kind of resonance. Somehow, the this myth not only replaces itself 
one time, but multiple times throughout mm-hmm. history, because their parents also replayed out this this story. And of, that's the thing in Children of the Stones, is that yeah. these old things repeating themselves over yes. and over again. Yes, exactly. And coming in, and sometimes extending, like with Children of the Stones, it's a pretty... The other thing is it's an isolated community, right. where things repeat on a loop forever. Uh-huh. It's kind of this, and the stone tape, it's yeah. literally a loop and, and is playing it, within the... And it's the whole thing with seasons of pagan seasons yeah. and May Day festivals, and then at this time we have to do right. this, and then it's, it's the whole, like, right. back to the land where there's, um, you're going from season to season, and yeah. just every year you sure. repeat the cycle. And that is, that, obviously, we talk about the story of John Barleycorn, the mm-hmm. cycle of, of the harvest season, and the, the rituals around that. So this concept of psychogeography happening in these isolated places where modernity has not intruded or where it by, it's been forced away. Forced. Yeah. It's almost like there's yeah. a, a dome, an invisible dome around these these villages and these towns where modernity is not allowed to enter. But when modernity does enter, there's used, that's where the... Um, the conflict occurs. The children right. of the stones, uh-huh. with the uh, owl service. Wicker man with Christianity. Uh, yeah, and it's often this figure who comes from the outside who brings science and rationality and cannot fathom the darker or deeper forces or cannot accommodate those forces. Or And, and sometimes they can throw the society out of whack um, themselves with, you know, they can kind of, like I think in probably Children of the Stones, mm-hmm. um, uh, and other times they, um, they are forced to join or overtaken by that society like the wicker man where mm-hmm. he's burned and or where they become happy people in the children of the stones yeah um sometimes the also the place just inevitably changes like in requiem for a village we we know from the very beginning it's of being that developed film, yeah it's, it's yeah you know, the game's over yeah this is a the name of the way film. of life yeah. that will never return that's ending and uh yeah this, so the other so the thing about psychogeography as well that the, there's there's probably this anxiety of a way of life that's ending and the way these films grapple with that anxiety is to show that these ways of life will never end uh-huh. that they'll always come back uh-huh. that we can bring we can we can, you pave, can bury them yep. we can pave over uh-huh. the ancient places and spiritual dwellings with you know 10-story apartment complexes parking garages and you know um, walmarts but at the at some point these forces if if anything will then be released more violently um, mm-hmm. in ways that you know the kind of the idea of the return of the repressed, where they're they're just going to force themselves out. They've always been here; they always will be here. Whether that's true or not, yeah. I don't know. I mean, but these films seem to posit that that will happen. And there is the whole like what Dionysian Ap- Ap- Apollonian mm-hmm. thing, where the what's the the Pentheus? Have you heard that? It's I don't know who wrote that. It's a Greek play, I think. Yeah, a Pentheus. I've heard of it. Where yeah. he's he's the repressed guy. He's pe- the pent up that one. Yeah. Okay. And then he meets he he basically meets a bunch of supporter uh, followers of um, uh, Bacchus, mm-hmm. um, Dion- yeah. Dionysus. Dionysus, yeah. Bacchus, right? And um, Bacchanalia. Yeah. He kind of loses all his inhibitions, and that's kind of the character that you kind of expected was going to happen to the guy in the Wicker Man, right. the, the the Christian yeah. policeman. He would you just go crazy. He kind of just go <laughs> go free. Yeah. And, become part of this but because it, he's got all this they're they're trying to, yeah, to do they're that they're testing him to see if he would join them or just be like yeah. well we, we're going to sacrifice you because yeah. you're a you're a, ver, a christian virgin right yeah yeah the um the fact that i'm just reading here like um we were talking about alan moore the other day uh-huh. so I just bring yeah. from hell into it that, oh, that yeah. i this and a similar idea there where these multiple layers of history will keep recurring yes um the idea of of Actually, Jack the Ripper is often seen as um, 
possessing later characters uh-huh. and turning them into killers. So he's kind of this the spirit of of dark London uh-huh. that that is there as well. The um, the other so the Janine and I saw an incredible film based on a book called Malpertius. Okay. And is that- Yes, this is a. Um, it's written by an author called Jean Rees, um, a Belgian Flemish writer, and it, it it says the same thing about the Greek myths that they relive, mm-hmm. and you know other writers, nonfiction writers like Joseph Campbell always talks right. about the archetypes that have continued. So it's a similar yeah. idea, but this is a novel where the Greeks actually live take over the skin of modern people wow and they um you've got you know all the greek characters you've got zeus you've got aphrodite you've got the three gorgons they all actually are embodied by characters in a mansion a family and they come it's like the old dark house story they all come to this mansion the the patriarch played by orson welles is dying they all want his money orson welles wow but then you learn there's something else going on here. These aren't characters aren't who they seem. There's a Chinese Weird. kind of puzzle box of nature to the film. And then you learn that they're actually Greek figures. Um, so it just, again, a totally different place, a totally different culture. The idea of the past being embodied in the present, coming out in, in ways that uh, are mysterious and, and interesting. Um, is you know that's that's a huge. You just uh, reminded me of Alan Moore. Um, he wrote this. No- a lot of why he wasn't doing comics for a while. He's been working on novels. Okay. Yeah. And he wrote this book called Voice of the Fire, huh. which is totally we're talking about about layers of history. Mm-hmm. So he's big. He's Northampton guy, mm-hmm. and it's charting like the earliest. Like the first chapter is like ancient uh, pagan. Um, England, mm. where you can barely understand the language. He tried wow. to like make the language like it would be yeah. of that Old time. English. It's even Not like even before middle. that. Oh, it's, it's like that. simple, like wow. simple, simple commands of like, you know, like me. Okay. It's not like me hungry, but it's like that kind of thing. And then there's slang and stuff uh-huh. that you can't understand. Okay. So that's the He's first chapter. He's actually done his research on this, yeah. and this is as authentic yeah. as Well, as, as, as you can guess. So there's the first chapter. And <laughs> yeah. then the next chapter, it's like a Roman guy. Yeah. And it's from his point of view. Yeah. And it's a little bit like, like a thousand years later. Okay. And then the next thing, it's a different story, like huh. a thousand years later. Wow. And it's all stories that are Northampton. And I've only exactly gotten about like halfway through. About. But yeah, it's, totally. it's called Voice of the Fire. <laughs> all right. So check that out. So I also want to check out, you've talked about the Doctor Who's section on the demons I think yeah I think uh, and it's, you talk about Morris you'll, you'll see as a weapon I love that and that's got witchcraft and all this other stuff yeah and, and then there, there's a demon and there's and this was children's television and they're literally doing satanic rites yeah in a in a yeah. church and this one actually nearly got I think they were arguing for getting kicked off the 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 television because it was oh, it was when wow. there was this whole time when Some Doctor Who was getting too scary and it was yeah, they were yeah. doing gothic stories. Oh, I have and, to see that. That'll yeah. be my gateway anyway. Yeah, for sure. So the other thing we I love talking about how different myths manifest throughout different times yes. and sometimes in the same place but in different regions. You talked about the Robin Hood myth. Did you were you saying something yeah. about that? Yeah. Okay. So tell me more. How is the Robin Hood myth a manifestation of some of the same um, dark folklore yeah. so, that we're talking about? So the the old images of the like uh, the, the like the Green Man, which is what I was for Halloween last night. But yeah. the the Green Man and John Barleycorn and right. his other names. Um, yeah, I can't. There's, he has a bunch of different names okay. of yeah. of like that Jack and Jack and the Green. That's another yeah, one. Jack and the Green. Yeah. Okay. And so the Robin Hood character, although mm-hmm. there's maybe there, it may have been a, a real Robin Hood to some extent, but yeah. the the concept of this good spirit that's in the forest mm-hmm. helping people yeah. is a tradi- long tradition from those ancient uh, stories about the green man mm-hmm. or the, the forest uh, forest elves and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And so it all has to do with, does it have to do with like the harvest and May Day and all that stuff? Is it, 
this yes. kind of green man. And that's actually May Day is celebrated in a bunch of these. I mean, yeah. they, they talk about that as sure. as the big thing, and that's uh, that's a big day overall for just all of England. I mean, that's their labor mm-hmm. their Labor Day that is tied into. They yeah. do la- yeah. Labor Day on May first. Sure, it's it's become it's kind the of a old, socialist celebration of labor, yeah, it's but the International Workers Day. Yeah, before that, wasn't it? Having it was, to do with the harvest, yeah, spring the harvest, har- right? Wait a minute, you don't do a spring harvest. No, you're right. It's not a spring. No, it's, it's spring, spring rebirth. Spring it's, rebirth. Got yeah, it. Spring yeah, yeah, planting. Planting. Spring, yep. Yeah. And Easter, of course. And it's usually where the Morris dancing happens and the maypole. And the, and the maypoles and, and the yeah. hobby horses. and. Um, I, I'm kind of curious about how Christian mythology sits side by side with pagan and occult imagery in a lot of these films. And yeah. how that, you know, the idea of Satan, for example, that's a Christian idea. Mm-hmm. How is that? You know, the Satan figure, is it because there is a Satan figure also in pagan, mytholo- pagan mythology that I think that see, I think, the, I think the Satanic figure is so similar to like Pan and to yeah. kind of the nature spirit uh, okay. that sometimes they kind of merge yes. the two. And it's hard to tell what And to it Christians is. it would be Satan worshipping, but yeah. to pagans it would be mm-hmm. worshipping the... They the, call it the Satan, and, and the American title of Blood on Satan's Claw is Satan's Skin. So right. it is this kind of, yeah. supposedly this Satan character, and the figure of good against evil is the Christian priest, yeah. right, you know, yeah, um, yeah, in that yeah. film. But you look at how Satan's represented in that film, it's completely pagan. It's a hairy beast that's put, put together yes. by the body parts of yeah. of the, the young kids who are bringing forth this creature through ancient rituals and right. games. Nothing like that so is in Christian. That's interesting, though. They call Bible. him Baphomet, so it's yeah. not just Satan. It's right. it's an ancient god which was sort of tied as like a lot of those ancient gods. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Judeo Christian would say, would, and they would say yeah. that that's the devil or that's yes, a demon. Exactly. And actually, I had this weirdest thing. A, a friend of mine um, was a is a was a Christian, a pretty uh, devout one. Mm-hmm. She came back from like a Sunday school type thing to me, and she was like, "They told me that there are other gods." In my church, really, I was like, I they tell that. you that yeah. in church to That's believe so that there's other sacrilegious. Like I just, think, yeah. and I just thought they'd be like, oh, there's there's just one God, you know, yeah. you know. But they're like, there's other. But gods. the Bible mentions other the, gods. Yeah, all it does over the totally. Place. Yeah, the gods of this, the gods of that. There's Your household gods. Asheroth, there's yep. the, the evil, like some Moloch. Pharisees. Moloch, of course, is the, Baal. the big one. Baal. Yeah, and these became images, say perhaps figure, satanic figures. Yeah, uh, they're like the demonic princes and things. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Beelzebub. I mean, that's that's yeah. from the from that's the Old from the Testament. Yeah, that comes directly from the Old Testament for sure. Okay. So, should we talk? Should we like talk more about authenticity in these? Um, how yeah. these are um, constructed societies out of that probably combine equal parts hippie idealism, reaction against kind of uh, lack of uh, rules uh-huh. around how to live and what morality. And, uh, and um, and then true nostalgia for previous and times. I think this was also the time, and I think I heard the director of Blood on Satan's Claw saying this. This was a sudden time when they realized they were allowed to push the boundaries of what you could show. Yeah. It all this all happened at the same time. Yeah. What you could show More in the movies. On, and that's BBC. why you're seeing these sex scenes yeah. where they're like, "Oh my gosh, I can do whatever yeah. I want." And they're going to some extreme places. And they went that. to extremes right yeah. when they were, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's this genre of folk horror both represents the most kind of modern, uh, kind of cutting edge, uh, some of the most stylistically modern. Cinematography. Think think of Requiem for a Village. I mean, that was all modernism. Or Owl Service is using incredible jump cuts. Uh um, Avant-garde. Avant-garde camera angles. 
um, you know, fades in and out. Stone Tape has some interesting uh, sound design that's very cutting edge using technology. And at the same time, there's some of the most traditional stories that right. they're telling and traditional themes. And the images of the landscape, you know, there's never going to be like, you know, a modern grocery store. It's always going to be an old right. church, right. a burial ground, an old village. Um, just, you know, so, so they're the most, most modern and the most ancient in one. That's fascinating. Yeah. And that's why they can be considered both science fiction, but also true kind of, uh, uh, kind of pastoral utopianism, I suppose, or something. So, you know, I I think actually this is a way big tangent, but that's what I like about Afrofuturism is the same Uh, thing. Yes. I'll have how the pyramid is both a symbol of the future and the past. Absolutely. And steampunk kind of subgenre and the science fiction writer, China Mieville, who I love. He does a lot of kind of pseudo steampunk type stuff. He'll he'll talk about um, he'll show how um, uh, yeah that there's this um, weird mix of modern and throwback culture. Yeah. I think we're living in an era like that again now, where there's a huge amount of nostalgia for retro culture uh, because of the pace of change, technological mm-hmm. change, which only yeah. gets faster and faster. Right. Um, that's you know that's access that technology allows us to access we can now tap into a larger trove of marginalia from the past than ever before right. because of the internet uh-huh. because of archiving um i love the internet archive you ever go to the web, that website yeah. oh it's it's like everything is put up there old time radio serials um you know found paintings from you know from from uh, garage sales um you know old texts it's it's become a warehouse of old culture that now is available google books is trying to put every book up on the internet mm-hmm. all these things the technology allows us more access to the past than ever before yeah. which we need to because the pace of technological change is so breath breathtaking and and mind-blowing that we can't yes. keep up so we have to go back and these and i think we're in another era of that now i think that a lot of the um you know, there's a guy, I don't know if you know him, Ben Wheatley. He makes these films that have mm, some throwbacks to folk sure. horror. Uh-huh. He did um, Kill List, which had some pagan ritual. Um, he's a horror film director. He did um, he did a film last year called A Field in England. Which oh, yeah. Felt like uh-huh. I started watching it. Yeah. I didn't see the whole movie. Yeah, it's a hard one to stick with, for yeah. sure. Uh, not much story, linear storytelling going on. But, again, he's a modern director. Yeah. Who's going back to these Wheatley is an sources. old English name. Like we had neighbors named the Wheatleys. Yeah, it's an old it sounds English. old. Yeah, Wheatley. Yeah, totally. it sounds yeah. super old. Yeah, um, the music scene, all these bands worshiping the uh, Wicker Man soundtrack uh-huh. or recreating, you know, ancient old folk sounds. Bands like Midlake, Fleet Foxes. Yeah, um, uh, even some of the um, more electronic music bands, Hauntology. So, I think it somehow it's tied to the pace of technological change. And the need to hold on to something from the past, um, and and the feeling that these things are eternal in the past, that we won't lose them, um, because perhaps we are anxious about losing them, uh-huh. and so we want to convince ourselves that the past will always live on. Um, it's hard to do that though when you're living, you know, in a, a completely removed from nature. Yeah. When you don't have that, that. I mean, the one thing that I love, why I love going to the mountains every weekend, yeah. is because somehow I do feel like all the concerns of my urban lifestyle just melt away when I'm out there right. and I'm back in a zone of primal um, day-to-day survival, uh-huh. even though it's it's a much safer version of that. Right. I feel like there's something there that I can feel I'm in touch with the past 
in a time when it's harder to be in touch with the past, but where we use the technology we have at hand. I use my car to get me to the mountains when I'm there. I use my GPS to know that I'm not going to get lost in the mountains when I'm climbing up. Um, at the same time, I'll put my phone away and when I'm not watching movies and listening to music, I'll just enjoy <laughs> natural <laughs> surroundings. But that's why I like to have technology and I like to have the option yeah. of com turning it off as well and, and the natural world around me. Um, and I think nowadays a lot of our movies, the fact that they even tried to remake The Wicker Man, show that we have this insatiable thirst I, for that. I gotta time. see that. I have to see it. Even uh, No matter how bad I gotta see that, that movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> so th there's another... Um, so we talked a little bit about Return of the Repressed, how the nets, how these ancient forces can, can force themselves out. Uh -huh. But do you think the natural world itself is um, perhaps um, reacting uh, somehow the physical, this idea of psychogeography, uh -huh. the natural world is angry about what's happening, so to right. speak, and is now taking some kind of revenge on us by... Yes. Um, yeah. You have to see Penda's Fen. I'm almost going to okay. make you watch nice. it. Nice. Because yeah. that is literally Penda's Fen, the name of it. I'll just... This is a yeah. teeny Tell bit of a spoiler. Please. So that... It's called that because he lives in a town called Pinvin, mm -hmm. and he finds out that it's named... It's we used to be called Penda's Fen, and okay. that it's changed over uh -huh. time to be now Pinvin. Yeah, yeah. And Penda was an ancient uh, king of England. Okay. And yeah, this was I've the place he died. Yeah. And so he's discovering this about his time as he's oh, like going, so he's basically going through pu going through puberty. Yeah, and uh, there's this whole connection with, with music. Um, yeah. Do you know Edward Elgar? Uh, yeah, yeah, British he's, classical. Yes, yeah. so the Dream of Gerontius has this big thing to do with the movie. It's such a strange movie. Wow! But there's he actually at one point he meets Edward Elgar, like a, oh, cool. a, a actor playing him uh, in like Avatar a dream sequence. Yeah. yeah, okay, huh? Um, wow. And there's the weird sexual awakening stuff. And yeah. there's he finds out that he's adopted. Okay. And so he's like, where where do I come from? And that's yeah. what this whole idea is of huh. this of the 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 countryside and you know originally what where he's connected to. Yeah. So and the layers of history that get covered up that you don't hear about because the Christian yeah. imposed their own history on a place. Actually, it was year zero for Christian, right? This is the history started when the Christians came didn't R exist before. Right. Oh, right. The written history. So is that yeah. Pendus Fen? Is that the boys? Yes. And, and it's and the um, there's even and this is my my dad would have loved this movie. There's a Marxist thing in there too, hmm. where one of his like a guy that he the kid kind of is friends with is a Marxist writer who does radio, who does television plays. Wow. Um, and so they have this little argument ab about um, politics. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, huh. I just forgot what I was going to yeah. say. But... No, but then you just brought in the Marxist angle, that there is yeah. a, which is, all these societies were socialist and, societies. Okay, and here's my favorite line out of Penda's Fen, okay? okay? So they're talking about ancient druids, yeah. and the kid's like, his dad, his dad is a reverend, actually. Mm -hmm. So there's the oh, whole connection cool. there. Christian, yeah. And his dad, his dad was like something like, "You should have, you know, a little bit more reverence for the ancient people that were here," or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, and his son was like, "The druids did committed sacrifices." Yeah, right. And then they they start talking about the kids they've been sending off to war, and he's like, right. "His dad is like, don't we What's do this? sacrifices?" Oh, that's and awesome. Like, yeah. So. Wow. That's awesome. I definitely have to see that. I love yeah. the idea of that, that, you know, that to discover the real history of a place under the history. I, uh -huh. I'm, I'm not sure how we got started talking about that, but um, I think we were talking about, um, um, oh, yeah, the, the natural world forcing its way on back out. Right. You know, kind of uh -huh. erupting under the surface like these tectonic forces. They, they've got to be, they've got to come out in some way. And there's these, you know, the idea of um, 
the um, Children of the Stones and the Owl Service is that you you, you don't have a choice, no. but it's it's going to force its way out. It's going to relive itself in you. Uh-huh. And um, if you know if you uh, are aware of that and respectful of those past traditions, then you will be respected in turn. Otherwise, you may be destroyed, um, which which is almost what happens mm-hmm. in both those those stories, um, which is, is interesting. Um, why why children's entertainment? Why were both of these children of the yeah, stars and our kids, service yeah. marketed as kids? You know, Pendus Fen involves a kid. Yep. Most of these yeah. have children either as innocents or as really evil yep. character figures. Right, like, uh, Blood on Satan's Claw, uh-huh. the happy, the happy, the happy people. people in Children of the Stones, yeah. even Children of the Corn in America. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you could also maybe connect it. Also, look at some science fiction in England, like Village of the Damned. Uh-huh. Um, and you know the idea that yeah that kids can either be forces of great of innocence or they can be um, dark forces mm-hmm. as well. They can um, maybe there's some anxiety too about youth culture in the '60s that was coming coming out through mm-hmm. that as well. Um, and Reckoning for the Village, this biker gang is you know yeah. I think that the, what it's trying to say in that is that you know there's a generation gap. And this generation gap will lead to conflict. That will lead to yeah. violence, death. Yeah, and wrestling for village was very negative. Yeah, yeah about gener- the generation yeah. gap and about, about the next generation, how things were going to clash. Be- yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's it, it results in the death of the church. But see, did they? That if wrestling for village seemed like it was saying this is the end of it, not not what the others yeah. ones were saying, which is that this could die this, out, but yeah, it will always be back. Right. That was kind of like different. A, that one's an outlier. Yeah, that one's saying no. This is the, you know it's too late. Um, this lifestyle is lost to us, and look what's coming. By the way, we got biker yeah, gangs. trucks and biker trucks. Yeah, and, exactly. And and bikers, complete yeah. disconnect between old and new. Yeah. But then there's the image of everybody rising from the grave, coming back too. So I don't know. I mean, are they? Yeah, that was they, a really. So that's I forgot about that. So never mind. I changed my mind. That's <laughs> not true. That's I forgot that whole scene. Yeah, yeah. So they all come back up from the dead. Yeah. So that's exactly what we're. I talking think it's about. more hopeful. It ties in there. Yeah, I think so. I, I forgot think that. Yeah, I think it's I saying that positively that these these dead forces will rise again, and that there yeah. can be uh, there can be a. Um, synthesis of the old and new and the generations can bring it together and I I think that um, if you wanted to read The Wicker Man in the most positive optimistic light Uh you might see the ending as um, indicative that you know this culture will exist these dark forces sacrifice etc it does happen it will continue to happen whether it's you call it like sending your kids to war it's in Pentas Fen or whether it's actual burning in a Wicker Man Uh the optimistic reading would be that um, the Aster may always be a conflict, but it doesn't have to be a conflict. Um, this is just the fact that this one man represents complete, rigid thinking, Judeo-Christian, you know, Western rational, um, bureaucratic, urban thinking that will never yield and will thus have to be destroyed. However, if there is give, if there is yield, if there is an acknowledgement and respect for the cultures, then... Then, then it can continue. I, I have tr- trouble reading it like that. I don't think that's a legitimate reading. No. For one thing, the um, you know, I, I would hate to live in these societies. I would hate to be a happy person. I would hate to. I wouldn't uh, mind living in the worker man village, if as long as they didn't kill people. But... I, I, but that's the the. I, I wouldn't. I would mind because I think that it's uh, for me. Like I don't want to, you know, have my kids taught about sex when yeah that's the, the you know the or, sex education scene which yeah. is really weird and that's again there's a, there's this it just shows a different way of life that i think is, is you would mind living there you would live in that village i th- i thought it was like the prisoner 
I thought it's like I would be I would feel like everything is provided for by every whim and yet there's you know there's if there's no constraints there's also no creativity if there's no pressures, there's no reaction. They're, they're in the pub, and they're, the whole village is singing together. Yeah, I like it's that. Like, I like that. It's not saying everything is bad. It's not saying everything no. is good. I think that yeah, this that 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 pub scene. Yeah, that's like the first scene in the movie. So you're watching the movie, and you know something's off. And then yeah. when it comes to the pub, you know, you think maybe in a traditional horror film there'd be dark secrets, murder, or violence, that or that the part the. Landkeeper's daughter is like abused or something. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And not in charge of her own sexuality. Right. But then this pub scene is incredible. Yeah. They break out into this song, you know, great, you know, it, this wonderful song. They actually, in their own way, welcome him to the village. Yep. Um, he's They're provided like, for. Feel free to have, if you'd like to have sex with him. Here's my daughter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's just this, this incredible shock to come down that scene because yeah. maybe the darkness is the fact that. Yeah, you know, maybe the the thing that he is most scared of is, is not the murder and the you know that, but is that he might end up enjoying this world oh, yeah. life. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and for sure. uh, and you can't accept that. And also us as viewers, that sits uncomfortable with us, with me for sure. I have yeah. all these Judeo Christian values that can that react. Um, there's one man who links a lot of these things that I wrote down. Nigel Neal, he wrote okay. a lot of this stuff. Oh, that thing sounds sounds familiar. Yeah, so he was the guy also who did the Quatermass series. And he's also a big Hammer horror writer. There's a documentary I put on YouTube, by the way, that we should do some links after this. Okay. And that one sounds awesome. He also wrote um, The Stone Tape. Uh, he, uh, okay. he did a, the adaptation of The Woman in Black. Oh, my God, yeah. Ghost story. His name yeah. appears everywhere. Everywhere. Um, Nigel Neal. He also did a British TV show, I wonder if you've heard about, called Beasts, which was kind of no. like a British Twilight Zone in the 70s. No, I really That had different metaphoric beasts featured yeah. in each episode and he was behind that so anyway we're going to have to come back to him at some point because yeah. he's you know he's hugely important to all this stuff um, so we haven't seen Witchfinder General that's the other folk horror film we haven't talked about I don't know that I I would resist calling that a folk horror film it doesn't it, from what I've seen the clips of it it seems like it's hunting. and it's like, and to me I like I mean I would say Blood on Satan's Claw was this folk horror because even though it's an old time I don't know what you when does it, that take place Blood on Satan's Claw when does it take place in the 17th 17th century 18th or 18th century something almost? like that yeah, yeah. So, yeah it's medieval no is it? no it's 17th century 17th yeah. century okay but even them they're uncovering older things yeah so that fits for me yeah well if Witchfinder General is this is what's happening yeah. right now yeah, was, right. that's exactly. not as to me that th- yeah. I always have feel like it has to be a, unearthing of old no you're things. right I, I think that's, that's we haven't seen use, the movie yet so that's a useful distinction to make yeah. the um, Requiem for a Village are they unearthing old things it's more of the clash between the new and the old it things. fits in because it's the same topic yeah so maybe that's why Witchfinder General would fit in because yeah. it has to do with like, that's the, the the stern Christian coming to the mm-hmm. town to yeah to change things so that that would be similar to the wicker man yeah yeah it's a useful distinction otherwise we're just talking about films that make use of folkloric elements right. that are just either using old stories which is the um, bigger genre that i right. think people have Absolutely. it's just that we're trying we're narrowing things yeah i like i like doing that so the, so the one thing a book i want to mention is called oversee and understone okay um and it's from a whole series by Susan Cooper. Mm-hmm. Oversee and Understone. Oversee and Understone. It's a children's book. Oh, I've heard of this. Where basically they're in Cornwall, uh-huh. and they're led around by a mysterious figure named Mary, who I want, you can kind of figure out who he might represent. 
Okay, he represents Merlin. Okay. Yeah, okay. Got, got, <laughs> got, it. got it. So he's their grand uncle. Yeah. And this almost ties in with like C.S. Lewis and stuff, yeah. where he's their uncle who leads them on this adventure, and they're ultimately trying huh. to find the Holy Grail. Oh, sweet, which is the yeah. Arthurian legend, yeah. of course, that... Um, wow, that's pretty cool. And then she, that was her first book, and then years later she started the series up again with different characters that kind of uh-huh. tied into that. Yeah. And it's this whole series you may have heard of, which is called The Dark is Rising, which yeah. won mm-hmm. it won Children's tri- sure. Children's um, write that down Book Awards. Yeah, Dark is Rising. Yeah. Um, and there's other... I, I read these so long ago that I don't remember, but but there's other... Um, other books in the series is one called Green Green Witch. Okay. I mean, how does that not tie Green into Witch. it? Green Witch, yeah. yeah, Greenwich. And yeah. Um, uh, I, have to, I have to read those ones again. Yeah. But those and those, uh, Dark is Rising. They made a movie of actually, which I haven't I've, seen. Yeah, I've heard of that. But um, but yeah, there again, it's children's literature. It's mm-hmm. and that's uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, actually, the, why when, why children? Do you remember the when so we were weird. kids? Um, there was a lot of stuff for us in America, of like. The Secrets of the Loch Ness Monster mm-hmm. and Bigfoot. That's like the, um, and uh, In Search of, which I love that show. And there were the tons day. of like books yeah. and films and stuff. And it wasn't that scientific for the mm-hmm. most part. No, it was pseudoscience. It was pseudoscience, yeah. yeah. So I think that was just, that was the time though. That was in mm-hmm. the 70s when they were just trying to be like, well, there's so prob- stuff. You could definitely, if you're looking at the genre critically, you could say it's pseudo- all the science is pseudoscience right. as well. Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely an element of BS and, and stuff like divining stuff. rods and yeah. that sort of thing where yeah. but I you know we all want to believe yeah. I sincerely believe that's why when I I still buy you know uh, you know Colin Wilson I'll still in, I'm into his books he no. did The Outsider this famous oh, okay. study uh-huh. and he also has done books on the supernatural um, his name's Colin Wilson I, I love that stuff even though I don't really believe it I mean yeah. I want to believe it more than I actually believe it it's like right. when I was in the haunted house the other day and I was yeah. trying to get myself wow this really is haunted this place look that's right. a real zombie right, right there right. and try to convince yourself of that we all want to believe something is lost when science completely seems to open every door and unwrap every every present for you and say here's the answer and so we want to have mystery in our lives and so we kind of create some of these these stories or we bring back these stories or somehow we find ways to accommodate them and I think that's partly what it is as well Welcome home. You have come of your own free will to the appointed place. The game's over. Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. So there you have it. There's the first part of our discussion. I close there with the uh, last bit of the Wicker Man, as you might be able to tell. I do have a couple of, of observations that I noticed about our discussion. Um, 
Besides how I often followed up Mike's intriguing questions by not answering them, I'm noticing that this is a, uh, a new thing for us to talk off the cuff, and it's kind of weird because later when you edit it, you can think, well, that's not true, or I really should have clarified what I meant by that. So that's a little weird and frustrating. For instance, I was talking about acorns and druids. Pretty sure I got that off of some sort of neo-pagan website, and it's not, not official or anything. Also, Mike, so Mike asked, why are so many of these works written for children? And I think it probably has to do with that children would be seen as a receptive audience for this sort of somewhat supernatural story. These stories are a good way to teach a little bit of history. For example, this was one of the central purposes of Doctor Who initially, uh, was to teach history and science. And also that a lot of the stories are about children coming of age and realizing that part of growing up involves understanding who you are and where you came from. And in our discussion of Blood on Satan's Claw, we mused about why they chose the name Baphomet. I had thought it was a name out of the Old Testament, which it is not, but in fact it has a disputed origin. According to Wikipedia, it seems that the name may first have appeared in 1098 in a letter by a crusader, and was later used to refer to any graven image worshipped by pagans. As I mentioned, we also recorded some talk about world folk horror, and we have a number of other works that we both want to watch for the future. Um, I was going to watch The Stone Tape, and Witchfinder General, I've seen Stone Tape and I'm halfway through Witchfinder General. Mike might see Penda's Fen and maybe Witches and the Grinigog or Doctor Who and the Daemons, so we can talk about those in the future. And other works we might discuss in the future include 1966's The Witches, known in America as The Devil's Own, which is supposed to be sort of a proto-folk horror. 1970's Robin Redbreast, which was a play for today, um, I think it was from the BBC, we tried to watch that one in Seattle, but the disc wasn't working, so might have to order that. And the 1977 television series Raven, which was the next thing that the people that did Children of the Stones worked on. And I actually uh, ordered some DVDs of that, so maybe I'll get a chance to check that out soon. However, this will probably be the last episode for a little while, even though I do have some audio on file. Um, working on a, trying to finish a book, so I want to fin finish that. It does try to fit into this genre, however, so uh, maybe I'll talk a little bit about the book I'm writing in the future. Uh, I do hope I can get some more podcast episodes done reasonably soon, but I guess our goal is at least to one a year. That's what we did last year. That's what we're doing this year, just to keep it going, because once you've gone a couple years, then there's no point. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Honey for Candlelands. Please contact us on our Facebook page, or... Tweet me at CandleEnds or Mike at HappyWanderer13. You can also email me at CandleEnds at CandleEnds.com. I saw it first, but I didn't understand. There was blood on my hands. You looked down and you saw it too. There was blood over you. See where it came from The ceiling was red It had trickled down some So we climbed the stairs To the second floor Found a party of people They were trying to ignore But the blood was coming Just sipping all through Dripping on their food And in their Bloody Marys too So we kept on going We went upstairs We found a bloody old man He was sitting there and what I saw, it did not seem real He was using the blood to 
said, I don't know why it's happening still. If it wasn't raining blood, it would stop the mill. So we kept on going and we climbed through the gloom up the winding stairs to the highest room. And we opened the door and what did we see? The blasphemous sons of Bathory. Monstrous creatures, they were taking a bath in the blood of the innocent sociopaths. We dwell in the basement of the houses they built, and we live every day on the blood that they spill. I said, a rubber dub dub, three pieces in the tub. Rubber dub dub, three pieces in the tub. I said, a rubber dub dub, three pieces in the tub. A rubber dub dub, three pieces in the tub. The butcher of bodies, the baker of flesh, the candlestick maker. Here on earth, look for the love. Beware the demons, they live above. 